Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. Good morning, guys. Can you hear me good? All right. Good morning, family. Uh, As you can see, PD is not here today. Uh, He's away, and... um, He's given me the privilege to uh, minister this morning, all right. Uh, first of all, it's good to see faces that I don't always see because I'm usually at a 10 o'clock service. You know, I'm not a morning person and our daughter doesn't allow us to get out the house, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and by eight o'clock, whatever. So it's good to see some faces here that I usually don't see. Uh, so that's a blessing. Um, and so today um, we're gonna talk about um, it's, it's something that goes in line with the mind of Christ, okay? So we know that throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we hear about the mind of Christ, renewing your mind, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Um, and part of the mind is your conscience, okay? And so PD alluded to this a couple of weeks ago, but we're going to dig deep into uh, conscience, um, why it's important to your life, and why it's important to your walk uh, with God. Uh, let's open up uh, in prayer, though, first. Father God, we just thank you for this opportunity to gather again this morning with you as a family, Lord. We thank you, Father God, uh, for the word that's going to go forth today. May it go forth in boldness and clarity, God. Um, May everyone be receptive to hear, God, and not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so like I said, conscience. And so the word conscience is mentioned a lot throughout the Bible. Actually, in the New Testament, it's mentioned 30 times. Um, give or take, depending on one, depending on what translation you use. It's, the word conscience is not translated in the Old Testament, but the concept of your conscience is there. Um, in the Old Testament, it's referred to as the heart. And not every time you see heart in the Old Testament is it referring to conscience, but within the context, when they say heart, they, they mean conscience a lot of times. So it's something that's consistent in both the New T- Old Testament and the New Testament. And in the New Testament, Paul mentions, it's primarily in the writings of Paul, um, his letters, some things he spoke in Acts, because conscience was something that drove um, Paul's life. And we're going to get into that later, like not just when he was in ministry, even prior to ministry, he was driven by his conscience. So we're going to get into that uh, a little bit uh, in this message. But first, let's talk about some uh, definitions so we kind of set the foundation uh, on that. Um, So... In the Greek, in the word that we see, oh, sure, is this working here? I think I have some up. Great. So in the Greek, the definition for conscious is a moral consciousness or awareness. Uh, Another way to put it is moral judgment, um, like your moral compass. You've heard that term, like a moral compass. That's what the conscience serves for us, and so that's the Greek definition. Um, And so conscious isn't just something that's limited to believers. It's not just something that we have. It's a human capacity. Everyone has it. Uh, let's go to Romans, uh, Romans 2, and I'm going to read uh, verses 14 and 15. And this is Paul talking. He says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So we see here that the Gentiles were not covenant people. Okay, the Jews were covenant people in a relationship with God. The Gentiles weren't. 
but still they had a conscience. They had this moral compass to guide them that the law was actually in them in a sense through the conscience that God has deposited in everybody. Okay, not just believers. We even see in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that um, God has put the um, eternity in the hearts of all men. That idea that there is a God, there's this, this, this moral thing, there's this right and wrong, which is put in everybody. So conscience is not just something um, limited to Christians, but everybody has this human capacity, all right? All right, so next definition, uh, I don't know if we go back there, uh, of conscious is conscious is your awareness, uh, actually back one, I got it. <laughs> Uh, conscience is your awareness of what you believe is right or wrong. The focus there is you and your. See, your conscience is personal to you. See, we might all be believers here. We might all be in the same church, same church family. You know, we hear the, the same message. We have the same, you know, tenets of faith, general theology, right? But no one here has the same conscience. It's different. It's unique. There's nuances. I'll go even further to say, even in your own household, in your marriage, you don't have the same conscience as your spouse. That's right. See, when the two became one, you didn't have one conscience. You don't have one mind. You become like-minded, maybe, but you guys do not have the same conscience. There's, there's little nuances to what, you know, might be guiding you, what you may feel is, is right or wrong. Now, of course, you'll be more aligned than a random stranger, you know, with your spouse. Hopefully you are. But, you know, there are some nuances. There are some slight differences in your conscience. So conscience is personal. And finally, a definition of conscious is consciousness, conscious is your awareness, sensitivity, and application of what's right. It's, what, it's being aware of what's right, it's being sensitive to what's right, and it's being able to apply what's right. And we're going to get into that later and, and see how that, um, that goes. So we know what conscious is. We have some basic definitions. So now, what is it not? What is your conscious not? One, it's not the voice of God. And two, it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? Because we already said it's a human capacity that everyone has a conscience. But if you're not a believer, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. If you're not a believer, you don't hear the voice of God. His sheep, his sheep hear his voice, right? So if you're not a follower of Christ, you don't necessarily hear that. So a conscience is not the voice of God, and it's not the Holy Spirit. But it is something that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us and communicate. He uses, he works through your conscience, he works through your mind, he speaks to you and communicates to you that way through that capacity. Um, I'll give you just a, a little example of just something that happened in my life. Um, earlier this year, I was a um, simple practical example of this. I was uh, interviewing for a new job back in January and got the job offer. Um, wasn't the money that I wanted, but I was like, okay, we can negotiate this. And, um, but when I went to sleep that night, I just didn't feel, you know, peace in my spirit. It just felt like this, you know, in my conscience, the spirit telling me this, you know, no, not to do this and just withdraw. So I withdrew my candidacy from the position. And so that is an example of, you know, the conscience deals with right and wrong. It doesn't deal with gray too much. It's just black and white. Is this right or wrong? And so there was nothing wrong with the job. You know, it wasn't like it was some money laundering on the side. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a front for some drug trafficking or anything like that. You know, it was just a regular old company, whatever. So there was nothing morally wrong, but the Spirit of God was able to work through my conscience and speak to me to show me what is the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God, right? That's what the Spirit of God leads us into and works through your conscience, right? And so there's a role that the Spirit plays and there's a role that the conscience plays. See, the conscience is a moral God that we all have Everybody, even if you're not saved, that can guide you to right and wrong. And so there are some things that your conscience alone can help you on. And so to say this, this might be controversial, but I don't believe you need to pray about everything. Amen. 
every decision you don't need to pray about. Okay? If you're doing your taxes, you have to pray, Lord, should I report all my income on these taxes? You don't need to pray about that. You don't need the Holy Spirit for that. That's your conscience. That's right or wrong. Right? You don't need to be like, should I take care of my family? You know, take, like, you don't need to pray about that. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that even heathens, even sinners, do good to those who do good to them. Right. They take care of their own. They have some type of conscience. They have some type of God that, look, I'm going to take care of, like gangsters, but I'm going to take care of my own people at right. least, right? right. right. So right. There, there's already that, right. that more conscience that everybody has. And so there's a certain decisions you don't necessarily, that are your conscience alone can make with right or wrong. And there's certain things, obviously, the Spirit comes and helps you out with, all right? Okay, so now let's talk about... We, we have a definition of conscious. We have what it's not. Let's look at some characteristics of it. Four characteristics of your conscience. Your conscience is personal. We already talked about that, right? It's just you. It's unique to you. Your conscience is a guide. And what I mean by guide is it guides you into making right or wrong decisions. Now, we know when we have to understand this concept of a guide, right? A guide is something that goes before you. So your conscience guides you before you make decisions. Okay? Third, your conscience is a witness or a judge. Now, a witness, when does a witness come? A witness comes after something has happened, right? There's a crime committed, and then the witness said, oh, yeah, I saw what this person did. So your conscience acts as a, wit ask, acts as a witness or a judge. So after you make a decision, after you do something, it, it is there to uh, either condemn you, like, look, you did wrong, or to affirm you, like, yeah, that was right. Yeah. So it, it goes before you, acting as a guide, and after you to accuse you or, um, or, or um, affirm you after a decision or choice you made. And finally, your conscience can change. It can change. It never stays the same. It's always adapting to new information and new things. Your conscience is always changing. And so that's why I want to get to the core of the message today, what I'm going to talk about the rest of the day. Um, and this will kind of be the, the, um, the topic of my uh, message today is what's shaping your conscience? Because it's always changing. It's always adapting. I'm 41 years old. I did, my conscience is not the same when I was 21. And I was saved, filled with the Holy Ghost at 21. I was saved. I have knowledge. I was in the Word. But my conscience and what I believe, right and wrong, wasn't the same as it was 20 years ago. It's not the same as it was 10 years ago. It's not the same as it was five years ago. It's always changing. It's always adapting to new information. Okay? So there are three ways that our conscience is shaped and that we can shape our conscience. One is we can cultivate it to conform. I think I might have this up here, actually, for you guys to see and follow. Good. We can cultivate it to conform to God's standards and truth, okay? We can, too, we can let it be, allow it to be influenced by others or our environment, and that can be a good influence, influence in a positive way, or a negative influence, influence in a negative way. Or we can let it go numb and what the Bible calls seared. You have a seared conscience, and we're going to get into that definition and what it means uh, later on. So cultivating your conscience. When we think of the word cultivate. It's almost like it's like an agricultural term in a sense, um, you know, cultivating land and, and preparing it and, and, and having it um, good for growth. And so the reason I, I choose the word cultivate is because, you know, the truth of God and those things, um, the word of God as believers has already been implanted in us as that seed. And we just have to cultivate that and make sure our consciences align with the word of God. See, conscience, uh, this is a quote. I don't even remember where I got this for, but this is not my quote. So I don't want anybody listening to like, Kevin stole that, whoever. <laughs> I forgot who this is from. But it says, conscience is only as good 
or as valid as the standards by which it measures and evaluates your thoughts, motives, decisions, and actions. Okay, that was a mouthful. Let me go over that slowly. It's only as good as the standard. What's the standard? The standard is the word of God. The standard is the truth. So it's only as good as is is the standard that it's using to evaluate your motives, your thoughts, your actions. So your conscience has to align with the word of God to to evaluate all the, your thoughts, your decisions, your actions, right, and guide you. The more aligned your conscience is with the word of God, the more sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit. The more aligned your conscience is to the word of God, uh, the more sensitive you are to the Holy Spirit. Remember that one of those definitions says your sensitivity has to do your sensitivity to what's right or wrong. So let's talk about this idea of cultivate. What does it mean? We're going to talk about um, a definition, a couple definitions of cultivate. So one, cultivate means to prepare, grow, or raise something under conditions that you can control. That last part is the key, conditions that you can control. See, the development of your conscience and aligning with the Word of God is up to you. You, you determine what influences your conscience. You determine what environment you're in. You determine how it's going to adapt and if it's going to align more with the Word of God or not. That's under you. You control that conditions, okay? Uh, another uh, definition of cultivate is to foster growth, improve by study, education, or application. So it's that education, study. It's, it's the more information that it receives, the more information you receive, the more it aligns with whatever information that you're letting in, whatever you're studying, whether studying things of God or not. So we have to cultivate and foster um, our, our, um, our conscience to align with the Lord God by what? Hearing the word, getting those things in us, getting the messages in us. And finally, the definition is you have to give, uh, another definition of cultivate is to give special attention to. So it's not something that your conscience isn't going to align with the word of God by osmosis, right? It's not just something that's going to happen. You can't just like show up at church and like, oh, okay, this is good. No, you have to, you have to apply it and you have to pay, pay special attention to it. You can't just be a hearer of the words. You have to be a what? Doer as well. Amen. And so... You know, and if we don't pay special attention to it, you know, we can, we can allow it to get um, just um, defiled in a certain way. Um, you know, I was trying to, like, work on our, our lawn this year, and um, the weeds were crazy this year, right? And if I didn't stay on top of it, which I didn't, so <laughs> those weeds would just grow out of control, which they did, but you have to pay, pay special attention to those things and, and to make sure it's not defiled. Amen? All right. So we understand the concept of cultivate. Now, what is the result of that? When you cultivate your conscience, when you have it aligned with the word of God, what is the result of that? The result of that is a clear conscience, a good conscience. And the Bible talks about this a lot. That means you can stand without guilt. So Paul says in Acts 23, he says, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up until this point. Uh, Acts 24, 16, he says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. And in 2 Timothy 1, 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. Okay? So that's the result. Paul was cultivating his conscience. And he was able to say these things uh, with, with uh, confidence. Now, like I said, our conscience always is changing and adapting but it, we have to, it adapts based on our understanding, um, as our understanding of God's word matures. Hmm. It adapts as our understanding of God's word matures. See, when we cultivate our conscience, we understand what's right in God's sight, 
but we also understand what's not wrong. Mm, okay. Let's say that again. Yeah. We also understand what's not wrong. See, because the Bible talks about um, a weak conscience, right? Paul talks about this in his letters to the Corinthians. And a weak conscience isn't somebody who's just easily susceptible to sin to give in. A weak conscience is technically an oversensitive conscience, a conscience that is, is uh, um, legalistic, a, a conscience that thinks everything's sin, that you can't do anything, right? And, 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 and so the reason why that's dangerous is because it could hinder you from walking out your purpose with God. Yeah. See, Jesus warned against this. He was the Pharisees and the Sadducees of those days. They were always like pressing people to follow the law, which they didn't even follow themselves. And then they put stuff on top of the law, all these other traditions, all these other customs and all these other things they made people file to follow. And it was weighing these people down with guilt and condemnation. And they just figured, we, can't we even be righteous? Can't we even walk with God? And so it hindered them from living out their purpose for God and what God had called them to do. And so we have to be careful to not just declare things that we that have this, we, as, our, as our understanding of God's word matures, we have to understand what's not wrong. What freedom do we have, right? Because the gospel doesn't just free, them from the, free us from the bondage of sin, it frees us from the bondage of legalism and religion and things that God is, that's God is not in, you know, in a sense, right? So it's that maturity. You have to continue to mature in your understanding of the word. All right, turn with me to, is this good? You guys follow me? So good. You good? All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go to Acts 26, verse 9. So this is uh, Acts 26, verse 9, and this is uh, the Apostle Paul talking. And he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Okay, so this is Paul. And we know that before, you know, he had his, his, his conversion, he was, um, you know, um, you know persecuted Christians. But see, Paul... And what I said earlier, Paul always followed his conscience. And so Paul wasn't just this thug on the street thinking like, oh, yeah, I want to join this mob and persecute Christians. Paul was convinced. Paul's conscience told him that he was doing the right thing. See, Paul had a heart after God his whole life. That's all he was following. He said, look, I was a Benjamin, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees, all these things. Paul's main intent his whole life was to follow the will of God. So when he was persecuting Christians, Paul thought he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing God's work. He wasn't just out here as a sinner. He was someone who was convinced his conscience was telling him he was doing the right thing. And he went hard that way. But when he, once he got saved, he went even harder in the other direction, the right way for Christ. But, con but Paul was always driven by his conscience. But what happened? He had to get an understanding. He had to get that revelation. And when he realized, oh, wait, this isn't right. I'm doing the wrong thing. He adapted. He had to recalibrate his conscience, right? When his understanding grew. Amen? Amen. Let's go to Acts 10. Acts 10, verse 9. We're going to go 9 to 15. <clears throat> and this is Peter. This is early in the church. The, the, uh, the church is uh, only 10 chapters old. That's it, 10 chapters. <laughs> uh, the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. 
But while they, we were, while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles, birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And a voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. So let's go down to 34, verse 34. This is Peter later testifying to the people what God showed him. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him, who does what is right and acceptable to him. And so this is the apostle Peter, okay? This isn't deny Jesus three times, Peter. This is post-Pentecost Peter. This is Peter with the tongues of fire. This is Peter who spoke on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were saved. This is Peter who when... Uh, when Ananias and Sapphira lied, he spoke a word and they dropped dead. Okay. Yeah. This is anointed Peter anointed like that. Peter. Okay. okay, This is Peter who walked in his shadow. Yeah. His shadow healed people, right? This is that Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, knowledge of God. But he had it all wrong. He had it all wrong. He thought like, no, I don't eat this stuff. This is common. This is unclean. God, he had, even he had to get that new understanding of what was right, what God was trying to show him, what the truth was, and he had to recalibrate his conscience. So what's the point? I don't care if you've been saved five days. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years. You have to always get a new understanding, new revelation, open to what God is teaching you, what is showing you, so you recalibrate, adjust your conscience to what is right so you can align with the Word of God and what the Spirit is saying. Amen. Let's go to 1 Samuel. Now we're going to talk about that second part. We talked about you have to cultivate your conscience. Now we're going to talk about the second part is um, another way that your conscience is shaped is allowing it to be influenced by others, the environment, things like that. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 9. And so this is, um, we're going to be looking at King Saul in the Old Testament. And we all know, you know, if you've been around church, you know, Saul went bad. Saul went, you know, crazy and just had some bad things, had the kingdom stripped from him. But Saul didn't start, start out that way, right? right? Saul started out as he was, he was humble and he was anointed. So this is when he was first anointed king by Samuel. And verse 9 says, when he turned, this is talking about Saul, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. Remember I said heart? A lot of times in the Old Testament also refers to your conscience, right? Mm -hmm. So God gave him another heart, which includes his conscience. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gebeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. The Spirit of God didn't just come upon him. It rushed upon him forcefully, and he prophesied. Okay, so we see this. Saul is prophesying anointed king. Let's go to uh, the next chapter, uh, Samuel 11, verse 5 and 7. Well, let me set this up first before we, we read it. So Saul was just anointed king, and um, crazy story. You guys got to read this earlier uh, when you get a chance. So like these people, this other town comes, these other kingdom comes and invades this area of um, Israel, and it tells all the people. Um, they give him ultimatum. Okay, basically this. Um, we're going to kill y'all or 
we are going to pluck your eyes out and you serve us as our slaves. <laughs> that, oh, that's it? Those are all the choices? Okay. And so basically they made a deal. They said, give us seven days, and if we can find somebody to fight on behalf, if not, then yeah, pluck our eyes out and we'll be your slaves. Like, okay, first of all, I'm like, that's not my choice. I'm like running, I'm like escaping, I'm hiding. You know, that's like, I'm not falling for one of those choices. But anyway, they said this. So give us seven days to see if somebody will come fight for us. And so everybody's like in, in Israel's like crying and wailing. So we're going to pick it up in verse 5. Now behold, behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh, which is what I just told you. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul. The Spirit rushes upon him again. And when he heard these words, his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. Okay. So Saul, as we see, the Spirit of God rushed upon him, right? He had this holy anger, and he just turned into a one-man slaughterhouse and just, like, sliced and diced up these oxen. And now oxen are, like, big beasts, right? This is, like, you know, he's saying, like, little small, like, cattle. He sliced them up, sent them around town, sent eyes here, oxtails there, everything around. And everybody was like, yo, what's going on? Saul said, oh, they said, oh, yeah, Saul says, if you don't come fight with us, uh, that's going to be your, your property. That's going to be your cattle. And everybody was in line. They didn't have to do a draft. Everybody enlisted, and they were down. They said, a great fear of the Lord came upon the town. They had a fear for this king and for, and for the anointing on him, right? And, you know, later in the story, they go, they go, they spend the people, they defeat the people, right, with uh, Saul. And they actually say that people who, um, everybody just, Saul's like the man in this town, right? Everybody's team Saul. And then all of a sudden, like, they were saying, you know what, who was speaking against Saul? Because when he was king, when he first was declared king, people were like, who is this guy? They're like, who was speaking against Saul? Let's kill him. You know what I'm saying? Everybody was just like, Rah, rah, Saul. Everything, you know, Saul was the man here. He had the fear. He, he had this great influence, right? Let's go to, I'm building something, so, so, so follow me here. I'm going somewhere. Let's go to Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 15, 24. Okay? 15, 24. And Saul, um, yeah. And Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Wait a sec. What happened? He said he feared the people? This same Saul who cut up oxen sitting around and everybody was in line? The same Saul that everybody feared? That people said, whoever spoke against Saul, we're going to kill? How in the world now, a few chapters later, Saul is saying, I feared the people? What happened? See, what happened was Saul surrendered his influence. Mm. I'm going to say that again. He surrendered his influence to these other people. Remember, PD was talking about leadership the past couple of weeks, leadership, and part of leadership is influence. Saul had that influence. He had that, and he surrendered his influence to the people to the point where what they say, not what God said, not the standard of the word of God, but what they said, these people who were supposed to be under him, what they said, he had a fear of them. Right? Because they, he was supposed to destroy everything, kill everybody on that, on that conquest there. But the people were like, oh, this is some nice stuff. Let's keep this. And he, he gave in to their word, surrendering his influence, right? Hmm. Hmm. Allowing his conscience to be influenced by others around him instead of um, by the word of God and what God had called him to do. Hmm. So you can be full of the spirit 
like the spirit of Pont was upon Saul, you could prophesy, you could have great influence, you could have great authority and all those things, but still let others change your conscience and change your convictions. Yeah. That's what happened in Saul's life. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians 2. This is Paul speaking, and he's talking about Peter. It says Cephas, but Peter's other name was Cephas. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood and condemned. All right, first of all, Paul is gangster, right? <laughs> Peter is like, first of all, Peter was walking with Jesus before when Paul was like persecuting Christians, right? <laughs> Peter's an apostle. Peter is the bishop of the church of Jerusalem. Peter, everybody knows Peter, and Paul's like, look, I got in his face. I don't care. So he says, I got in his face, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Okay. So what happened to Peter? See, this is after what we read in Acts 10. Acts 10, he got that great revelation, the vision from God, the blanket coming down, you know, what I call clean, do not call common, don't call it unclean. And he even testified himself, hey, Gentiles are all good, let's eat, let's chill together. But all of a sudden, later, he's sitting here chilling with the Gentiles, and then these people come from James, and he separates himself from them. Hmm. He surrendered his influence to them. He did the same thing Saul did. He surrendered his influence to these people from James. And this is how he not only surrendered his influence, he transferred his influence. What do I mean? Obviously, he had, look, Paul said that even the rest of the Jews and Barnabas followed Peter. Peter had influence over those people, and he surrendered the influence he had over those people and to these people from James because what he did, they followed, and so they were following whatever these jokers believed, right? Hmm. So how does that happen? How does Peter have this great revelation? He understands what's right and wrong as God gave him, but he later, he had that, he, he saw these people from James that had a greater influence over, he feared them and went to sit with them and, and shun the Gentiles. Hmm. The point is that we have to be careful what's influenced us, who's influenced us, who's speaking into our lives, what in our environments are speaking to. And so today, I mean, I think that, I mean, it obviously can be people, but in our modern times, and I think in, in this modern era, one of the greatest influences that we have is social media, yeah. okay? Yeah. Because it's everywhere, at least it has great influence over us. And media has always had a great influence on us, right? Because anytime you read something, you watch something, like there is a message behind it. There is a theme. It might just seem neutral, but there's somebody's trying to get some point across, whether right. it's good, bad, or, or whatever, right, exactly. And so, like, I, I think about it this way. You know, if you watch a 30-minute show, sitcom, whatever, generally you're getting the view of, like, one writer, one director, or whatever. If you were scrolling on social media for, like, 30 minutes, you got, like, hundreds of opinions and of views that you're viewing during that time, and, you're, and you can let that influence you. Hmm. It can influence you in some ways. And so, one thing, like, I even had to, um, a couple years ago, or maybe about a year ago, like, like God showed me I had to, I just got convicted because I had to get off of Twitter. 
because it was just so much, the people I was following, it was just so much, um, it was just influencing me. It was influencing my conscience, influencing what I thought was right and wrong, and I had to check myself like, ah, you know, let me get away. And so, I mean, I'm back on, but I don't, I'm just on there just for a minute or so to check some things, see what's trending. But the thing is, and, and this is something that God challenges me with, and so I challenge you guys as well, when it comes to social media, are you a consumer or are you a producer? Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Are you yeah. just there to consume uh, social media? Uh, are you just there to consume other people's opinions? Uh, and when I mean God. producer, I don't mean that you have to be like an influencer or anything like that, but it's like are you, when you're just there, um, and it's fine if you just want to check things, whatever. If you're there to be a con to be a consumer, that's fine. But you have to watch what you're con consuming and limit your consumption, because or or just check or just do kind of like a little audit of like what am I following, who am I listening to, how much influence are they having on me. So that's something to think about because that's a major source of influence. Let's go to Psalm one one. Familiar verse of scripture. <clears throat> and it says, Blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So this is an example of what not to do, <laughs> in, in, a, in a sense, right? It's the idea of, and, and it shows like a progression of influence and allowing yourself to be influenced. You know, it starts by walking in the counsel. You know, you're walking in the counsel of the wicked. And then all of a sudden you stop, you're standing in the way of sinners, and then you get so comfortable that you're sitting in the seat of scoffers, right? <clears throat> and so we see that happen really in those examples I was just showing you. And so the questions that I have and, and we need to be asking ourselves is, who is counseling us, even informally, right? Not just who are you going to for advice, but it says, you know, Walk not in the counsel of the wicked. Who are you walking? Who is counseling you even informally? In meaning, what um, media sources are you listening to? Who are you following on social media? Because you're walking in their way. Where are you? So we talk about standing is next. Where are you stopping and idling? Where are you spending your idle time just standing there? How is that influencing you? How is that influencing your conscience? And finally, where are you sitting? Where are you comfortable? See, Peter was too comfortable with the people from James, right? He was too comfortable. He, he was more comfortable there amongst these people, that circumcision party. And they were scoffers because they, they, they scoffed at the Gentiles, right? Mm -hmm. So where are you sitting? Where are you comfortable? Think about these things, amen? amen. Let's go to Titus. Titus 1, chapter, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 12. This is Paul talking. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. See, Paul just had no filter. He just said whatever. Anyway. <laughs> Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Hmm. So Paul is saying, who are you listening to? These people spreading these things around. Are you listening to them? Defiles your consciences. All right. So now we're going to talk about that last thing. We know that 
Um, you shape your conscience by cultivating it, you shape your conscience by allowing others to influence it, or you can shape it by letting it go numb. So let's talk about that now. First Timothy chapter four. Verses 1 and 2. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars though whose consciences are seared. Seared. So the Bible talks about a seared conscience. Usually the, the definition uh, in the Greek is it's literally to be seared with a hot iron in a sense, and so it's, it's an, another way to harden your heart, okay, when it talks about that and, and to, um, to be numb. Uh, John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, a seared conscience becomes inactive, silent, rarely accusing, and insensitive to sin. Wow. When, your sin when your conscience becomes seared, it's inactive, silent, rarely accusing, and insensitive to sin. And so we've, and we've seen throughout history of the Bible, we've seen throughout church history of, we've seen this happen to even great men and women of God, you know, in the sense where there's certain things that, how your conscience becomes seared is just after a while, and, and it might not be like a total hardened heart, you know, um, seared conscience, but there could be like one area, one area that if you keep not listening to your conscience after a while, you don't even hear that voice anymore, and it becomes seared. We've seen, you know, throughout Israel's history, these kings and everything became evil. And even Solomon, listen, King Solomon, the wisest man, the wisest man to ever walk the earth besides Jesus, the wisest man, riches. People came from all over to hear his wisdom that would just blow their minds. He built a temple to God. But he was off worshiping, sacrificing to other gods. He built a temple to a goddess. How are you going to build a temple to Jehovah and another god? His conscience was seared, y'all. Hmm. So we ought to be careful with that. All right, so I'm closing out. And so I want you guys to remember that, was that definition, that awareness, sensitivity, and application of the truth. Those are the key things. Awareness is hearing and understanding the word. Application is not just being a hearer of the word, but a doer as well. And sensitivity. We have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He's the one that leads us into all truth. Last scripture, Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. See, the Holy Spirit is a witness. Our conscience is a witness. The Holy Spirit is a witness. Witness is something that was already done, something that has happened. He's a witness to what has happened in the past. For after saying, this is the covenant I make with you after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on your minds. The Holy Spirit is witnessing to what Jesus already did. He already put this in our hearts. It's already in our minds. We just have to cultivate what he already deposited in us. And, we do, and when we do that, how do we do that? Just being sensitive to the Spirit of God. He's always talking. When I was in college, I was involved in a ministry, and we had a, a mentor and a leader, and he would always ask us when he would see us, what is God saying? What is God saying? Mm -hmm. He would ask us today, what's God saying? Tomorrow, he asked us what God's saying. We'd be like, the same thing he said yesterday. I don't know. <laughs> but the idea was this. You need to be hearing from God every day. Yeah. Every day. He's speaking every day. every day. 
The scripture talks about the Holy Spirit. It says um, to follow the dictates of the Spirit, not the dictates of the flesh. Another way to say it is the promptings. The Holy Spirit is always prompting us every day. It's not always big stuff. It's not move across the country and everything. Sometimes it's just call this person, text this person, do this, that. Small promptings every day. The more sensitive we are to those promptings and following those promptings, the more aligned we are with him. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Hope that was a blessing to you. So I just want to... Um, if anybody here, and I don't know everybody here, so if there's anybody here who has not made Jesus the Lord of their lives, um, if you've heard this message and, and you may have a moral compass, a moral guide, but you don't have that spirit of God in you, um, and you want to know Jesus, you want to be able to walk with him, walk this path and, and, and have this uh, new life with him, uh, just, you know, just let us know, raise your hand, is there anybody here? All right. All right. Praise God. Praise God. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, Contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His word. God bless you.